Easter, uh, when you're asked to go and preach at another church or a conference, <coughs> sometimes what happens is that you are assigned a theme or you are assigned a text from which to preach. Now, I'm not a particular fan of this. You can see the fear, you know. Like you'll sort of agree to go and, <laughs> you'll agree to go and uh, preach somewhere. And then once you've agreed and you're all signed up, then they'll sort of whip out the most contentious or difficult sort of theme for, for you to speak on. And that's not an irrational uh, fear. Like this has happened to me. Uh, it was a few years ago, uh, I was asked to come and speak uh, to the young people of the Free Church. The Free Church Youth Conference, I think it was called. You know, so you're asked, asked to go out and speak to them. And then afterwards, they sort of say, follow-up email. You know, when you've said, yeah, the, the follow-up email is, oh, and Andy, we would like you to speak on the hyper-sexualization of culture. And I was like, well, okay, you know, throw us a bone here, you know. Uh, well, what, what I'm finding out slowly but surely in pastoral ministry is whether you are assigned them or whether you sort of choose a text by going through a book. You see the sort of contentious, controversial subjects of Scripture, sooner or later, they are going to get you, <laughs> which is something I'm seeing here tonight. Okay. <laughs> Before we get to this, let me simply refresh our memories. What is, what is this that we're doing? Paul's writing to a group of believers, probably not all that dissimilar to ourselves, like people who haven't been Christians for 30, 40 years. Christians, people who have been Christians for not a long time. He's writing to these people to push them towards Christian maturity. Now, you remember what he's done. Like he, he, he's told these Christians what it is that they have taken off in their salvation. Remember the sexual immorality, all that stuff? And the sins of speech. And then he's told them what they've put on. Remember last week, the list of the traits and the characteristics. And said, this is what you put on. This is what you got to be working towards. Now, do you remember how we ended it last week? Remember the last thing that we looked at last week? We saw Paul give that congregation this massive kind of overarching principle for Christian life. Do you remember it? Remember what he says? Just have a look at it. You've got it there. He says, and I think about how big this is. He says, whatever you do, <laughs> whatever you do, you do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, this evening, what we're seeing is how that overarching principle, do whatever you do, do it in the name of Christ, Tonight, this is about how that overarching theme works out in our households. You know, tonight we're thinking about how it is that we live for Jesus, how we honor Jesus, how we live for his glory in our relationships, in our families. So you might say, okay, this is controversial, and it is. But you also see, wait a minute, this is very relevant for us. As a group of Christians, this couldn't be any more relevant. This is about how we live in our families. 
With that said, turn to Colossians. Have Colossians 3 open. Hold on to your hats. Uh, and let's consider firstly God's instructions for wives. Okay? God's instructions for wives. Right, I'll tell you how we're going to do this. I'm going to read what God says to wives. Then we're going to think about what God is not saying in this instruction. And then we'll think about what God is saying. Okay? So I'll read it. Then we'll think about three things that, that God is not saying in that instruction. And then three things that God is saying. So you ready? I'll read it. Here we go. Verse 18. God says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Submit to your husbands. Okay? What is Paul, what is God not saying there? You ready? Three things that that's not saying. One, that is not an instruction to women. And at that point you all think, oh, the pastor's lost the plot. But it's not an instruction to women. Is it? I mean, it's an instruction to wives. And I think that's important. Because just as sometimes those who are married lose sight entirely of what it's like and what it means to be single. So I think here the realities of what submission to husbands looks like, that can really only truly be appreciated within the the context, within the relationship of a, a marriage. This is not a call here for women to submit to me. It's not. I mean, this is a call here for wives to submit to husbands. Okay, so it's, it's, it's not an instruction to women. Second thing, it is not, you've got to hear this one, it is not an instruction that hints at inferiority. If you've got your Bible, I asked you to have your Bibles open. If you do have your Bibles open, look at, look at what we're dealing with tonight. You're going to, just look in front of you. You've got three pairs of relationships here, don't you? Like, what have you, you've got wives and husbands. Do you see what's below that? You've got children and fathers. Then what we'll deal with next week, you've got slaves and masters. Now you're also, if you're, if you're, if you're on the ball with this, you're going to notice that in each of those pairs, the role that is called to submit is placed first. So the role that is called to submit is placed, is given the place emphasis in Scripture. Now, why is that? Well, it is there to underline the fact that there is no inferiority whatsoever being a, 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 a suggested here by Scripture. That women, in our case here, are not and must not be viewed as inferior or secondary to men. Okay? That is absolutely clear. There's no, there's no hint of that in the language that Paul is using. Right? No hint of inferiority. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? You want proof? Just think about what we looked at two weeks ago. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. What's Paul's point in verse 11? Paul's point is that it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're a Scythian or a Scot. It doesn't matter. 
that everyone is entirely equal in Christ. So it's not an instruction about inferiority, okay? Third one, this is not an instruction. Think about this. It's not an instruction to obey. All I want you to notice, and we're going to think about this in a, wee, in a moment or two. <coughs> I just want you to notice the difference in language between what Paul says to the kids and what Paul says to the wives. See, the kids are called to do what? The kids are called to obey. The wives are not called to obey. Wives are called to submit. This is about voluntary submission. Do you see what it's not about? This is not about oppression. This is not in any way about subjection. This is not, and I repeat for the men here, this is not about us viewing our wives as some sort of glorified slave. So it's not an instruction to women. It's not an instruction that hints at inferiority. It's not an instruction to obey. Okay, we know what it's not. But what is God saying to wives here? Okay, ready? Just fire three things. What is God saying? When he says to wives, submit, what is God saying? Think about these. One, this is a spiritual instruction. Look at it again. Please, if you would. Verse 18, look at it again. I think it's quite interesting to think about what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say uh, to these these women of uh, Colossae, he doesn't say, submit to your husbands. He says to that group of women, he says, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And the force of that is really, submit to, to your husbands as is fitting for the church, as is fitting for a community that, that has Christ as its saviour. And I think what that means is that this sort of submission that we're talking about tonight We can't understand it in a vacuum. Like this idea of submission, we cannot, you're never going to understand it if you are just coming to it from the viewpoint of a sin-scarred society or if you just come to it from your own sinful point of view that you are only ever going to understand this idea of, of submission if you are thinking about it spiritually. Like if you are actually thinking about it in terms and in light of the, the rest of Scripture, that if you are looking at this idea of submission from the vantage point that what, what God has done, remember, God is a God of love, He is a God of grace, that what God has done in creation is He has implemented hierarchy in His wisdom. For some reason He's done this. He has implemented hierarchy in creation, in the order of creation. He has done that in the church. And what we're seeing here is that he has also done that in his wisdom, in his grace and his goodness. He has done that in the family as well. So we've got to be thinking about this spiritually. We've got to be thinking through the eyes of Scripture. So it's a spiritual instruction. Second one, I want to say that it is it is a practical instruction. And all I mean by that is that this is not theoretical. And so I just want to say to the wives of the church and prospective, prospective wives, uh, potential wives, you know what I mean. You are called to do this as a Christian. 
This is not just... Like we, we talk about submission. This is not just a theoretical idea. You are called in a marriage relationship to help your husband to lead. You are called as a Christian wife to a life of radical and sacrificial submission. This is a practical instruction from the Lord our God. And then the third one, okay? The last thing for the wives. This is a Christ-centered instruction. And this is the most important of all. So I'm going to speak pretty candidly here. The world hates this. I mean, the world hates what, what we are talking about, what we are looking at tonight. And because of that, the, the young women of the church and all of us, we make mistakes with this stuff, the idea of submission, because we don't have all that many role models because the world rejects this. We don't see this radical biblical submission in action. So what do we do? Like, what do the... What do the young girls of the the church do? Where do we look for examples of this? Well, surely we see that if you are a married woman in the life of the church, you have a responsibility, surely, to live this out. You know, to lead this submission, this this godly submission, so that the young people, so that your daughters and your friends, they see this in action, right? There's a huge responsibility here. But there's something better. Isn't there? So let me ask you this. Where else do we see this? Like where else do we see a perfect example of an equal but submissive relationship? We see in the Trinity. We see it in the Trinity. We see it in our God. We see it in our Son who is... Equal in every every possible way with his father. Equal. But we see him being willing to voluntarily submit himself to the will of his father. And when we take that on board, do you know what we see? We see that Christian submission, it is not about tyranny. It is not about power in the home. It is not about even authority in the home. We see that Christian submission is about us self-sacrificially pursuing the glory of our God. Does this stuff bother you? Does this idea of submission, is it just, you hate it, you just can't, can't understand it? We will only understand this if we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see instruction, God's instructions for wives. Secondly, let's consider God's instructions for husbands. When I was young, I was made to practice the piano every single night after school. You know, I want to be out playing football, but mum's a music teacher, grand's a music teacher of what they have to do, but practice the piano every night. Now, huge error when I'm uh, practicing the piano. What I used to do but I had to practice a piece for an exam. What I did, what I did so daft, was practice the right hand all the time. 
Like, I would practice the prominent theme, like the melody line. And it was only when the exam was just around the corner that I would realize, oh no, I haven't totally ignored the left hand here. And I've just been concentrating. These things are supposed to be working in harmony for these exams, but I'm focusing focusing on one and not the other. Tell you this, that is the same mistake that we make when it comes to God's instructions about Christian marriage. Because, you know, let's say we're playing family fortunes, you know? You know that bit where they say, we asked 100 people. Well, if you asked 100 Christians, what does God say to people about marriage? 99% of the time, people are going to say, oh, I know. God says women have to submit. That's the right hand. That's the prominent theme. What we've got to realize, what we've got to pay attention to tonight is the left hand. These things are supposed to be working in harmony. And can I say that God gives men instructions and they are no less challenging than the ones that are given to wives. Can you see what it is? Look at verse 19. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let me tell you what that is not. That is not a command about emotion. Paul's not saying, guys, like I know that your wives can be a pain now and again, but try and have affection for them. Paul is not saying that. This isn't a command about emotion. Can I tell you what it is? Men, this is a call to action. That is what this is. This is a call for husbands not just to have feelings for, but to show and demonstrate, demonstrate love for their wives. Now, how do we do that? How do we show, how do we demonstrate love for our wives? Well, there's a parallel passage to this in Ephesians chapter 5. And what Paul does there to the Ephesian congregation is kind of just elaborate or expand a wee bit. Can I tell you what he says? He says, husbands, love your wives. Then he says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Do you see it? Just as the Lord Jesus Christ was the template for the wife's submission, so the Lord Jesus Christ is the template for how husbands are supposed to act towards their wives. We are supposed to treat our wives in the same way as Jesus Christ has treated his church. Now, how does that work? How does a husband treat his wife in the same way as... Wait a minute, what did we look at last week? Do you remember the list of traits? Do you remember the list of Christ-like characteristics in a couple of verses before this? Do you see, guys, that is how we are supposed to treat our wives. Look at the list that we are supposed to actively show our wives compassion. That we are actively to think about how we are to show our wives kindness, humility, gentleness, patience with our wives, to see how challenging it is. And then just to compound all of that, look what Paul does. He doesn't just say, guys, love your wives. He says, do not be harsh with them. Men, do you see what that is? Do not be harsh with them. 
That is a call for Christian husbands to be entirely different to all other husbands out there. That is a call for Christian husbands to fight that natural, sinful inclination that we have to be overbearing, to even be heavy-handed with our wives. Guys, is this how you are with your wives? Guys, is this how you will be when you are married? Will you do this stuff? We too are called to love and love sacrificially. We are to love as Christ loved the church. Wait for it. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we've seen something of the guidelines for for wives and husbands. Paul moves from the marriage relationship now into into the relationship between kids and their parents. So I I want us to consider next God's instructions for kids. (laughs) And I guess (coughs) with this, I kind of feel like I did once before when I I was invited to preach in the, in the very north of Scotland. I may have told you this story before. If I have, please just forgive me. I was, I was asked to go and preach in a church, and I didn't know anything about the church at all, and I should have found out more than I did at the church. But, you know, I was young and enthusiastic, and I knew how this was going to go, so what I did was write a sermon, an evangelistic sermon, right? An evangelistic masterpiece this was, you know? And I knew how this was going to go. I was going to go into this church and I was going to preach the gospel. And, you know, the floor was going to shake, the walls were going to shake, Holy Spirit was going to be there, and everyone was going to be saved. You know, this evangelistic sermon that I was going to preach, which I was just going to stand there ushering people into eternal life, you know? That's how it was going to be. It was going to be awesome. And then I got to the church. <laughs> And I walked in. You know what I saw? Two people. Two people in front of me, you know? And I had this evangelistic sermon in my hand. Two people. One was my father-in-law. So a committed Christian elder. Uh, The other person was a former uh, Christian missionary. You know? There's me armed with my evangelistic sermon. Never in the history of the Free Church of Scotland has there been a less appropriate sermon preached. But maybe you're thinking the same just now about this. Because look at us, you know? We're here with these verses and they are Paul addressing children. Have a look around you. (laughs) There are not many children in tonight. Let's not miss the point, though. We have to pay attention to these verses because they teach us how to teach our children. I mean our children that we have just now in your families, but also the kids that you might have in the future, even if you're not thinking about that just now. They also teach us how to teach the children of the church. So do not switch off. This is important. What does Paul say about children to children? Would you read it with me, please? It is verse 20 of chapter 3. Verse 20. (coughs) Paul says, Children, obey your parents in everything, 
for this pleases the Lord. There you go. Like, I'm not going to say much on this. I just want to say one or two things for you to notice. If you look at your Bibles just now, notice that it is a stronger instruction than for wives. Remember I mentioned that, the difference in the language between submission and, and, and obedience. Do you see that for kids it is not about voluntary submission? <laughs> well, it's for the wives. It ain't for the kids. Like, this is a call for, for us to ensure that our kids, the kids of this church, that they listen and that they do what they are told in line with the fifth commandment that God has given us to honor father and your mother. This is a strong instruction for children. Notice also it is, wow, it is an all-encompassing command. Like, remember I said this with, with, with the wives. It is quite interesting to think about what Paul does not say. What does Paul not say to the kids? Paul does not say, doesn't leave it at, kids, obey your parents. Doesn't leave it at that. What does he say? Look at it. What does he say? Children, obey your parents in everything. Do you see what that means? You know, this idea that society has, this idea that infiltrates the church, that we want our kids to obey us, unless they don't really want to. You know, we want the kids to, to obey us, but not if we're asking them to do something that they don't want to do. You know, we, you know, they're great kids be kids. They're just kids. Do you see that idea? That idea we're seeing here, that idea does not fly. We really are to teach our children to obey their parents in absolutely everything. The necessary qualification unless it is contrary to God's word. It's an all-encompassing command. And then the last thing you notice about it is, notice the incentive. Look what Paul says. He says, obey parents for this pleases the Lord. And I, I love that. I love that. Now, some people say that Paul's a tyrant. Like some po- people think that the apostle Paul was a harsh man. Do you not just love the simple way that he puts that? He knows he's speaking to kiddies. He knows he's speaking to the children in Colossae. And what's he saying to them? He's saying, be obedient. Why? Because this makes God happy. It makes God happy. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that an incentive? Friends, what we're seeing there is that our children's obedience is very important. Why? Not because if they're obedient, they'll grow up to have a better future. You know, it's not about that. It's not like, oh, let's teach the the, the children to be obedient because, oh, they'll be more well-rounded when they're older. No, God has sent us, teach children to be obedient so that as they grow, they will learn what it is like to obey the Lord their God. So God's instructions for kids. So we've seen wives, husbands, kids. Look, just going to end with this, okay? God's instructions for fathers. So again, men, your the spotlight falls on you. God's instructions for fathers. And I'm going to be honest with you at this point, and I certainly do not mean to be flippant with this in any way at all. Um, my first thought 
with this command to dads in verse 21 was just to lump it in with the instruction about kids. Like I sort of read that in the, the instruction in verse 21 and I thought, okay, it's kind of, it, you know, it's about parenting so I could get away <laughs> with putting it in with the children. I thought the command's not all that prominent. I thought, and again, I really am not being flippant here, I thought it's a bit of an odd command. So I'll pass it by. Then I thought, this is God's word. He's taken us through Colossians. He's something to say to us, to you, tonight in this command. So again, I would say to to the men here, but to all of us, listen to this. Look at it. Let me read it. Verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, are you not with me? Like, does that not sound like a bit of a strange command? Do not embitter your kids. Do you see what it means, though? Man, it grieves me. You see what it means? Again, what we're dealing with here is the sheer wickedness of guys. The sheer wickedness of, of, of men. The unlike the so-called fairer sex. That God here feels the need to, to contain our capacity to mistreat those who are nearest and dearest to us. Isn't that something that God would have to spell this out to men? Do not embitter. Do not mistreat your children. That we need to be told that by God. And then just to underline the importance of it, look at the consequences. Paul says, if we do that, we will discourage these children. If fathers are overcritical, if fathers are cruel to the children what happens but it strips the kids of all their of all their self-confidence so guys do not write off this command this command is important instead of us being cruel what do we do what have we done at every single one of these things tonight we look to heaven don't we we look to our own heavenly father who, yes, he disciplines us, but man alive, he does it with mercy. And he does it with a tenderness. And he does it with a care. Friends, tonight we've seen an awful lot in a short space of time about households. I'm going to end by stating the obvious. Here's the obvious thing. The Lord God cares about how you live as a Christian in your family. God cares about that. But the question is why? God cares about this stuff. Because especially in a society that is rapidly eroding the family. If you and I live like he has spelled out here, what will happen? If we live like this, with with submission and with this humility and this care for each other, what happens? We show London an alternative, don't we? We show London something different. But, but, think about it. 
If we live like this, we will point London to the gospel. Won't we? We will point London to, to where what happened? Where a father and a son can work perfectly together and provide us with a plan of salvation. Where a son, where a person was willing, willing to submit to an equal, where a father was willing to give up that which was absolutely dearest to him in order to do what? In order to provide everything that his children need. Do you see it? We live like this and even our very families become Christ-centered. Isn't it amazing? Should we not praise God that even commands to submit, (laughs) that even commands to, to be humble like this, even those commands are given so that we could point people to the cross. This is all about God wanting people to be saved. Let's pray.